Thank you, Pastor Jerry. Thank you to the session. Thank you to all the saints. It's a true joy to be back in Indiana, and it's always a joy. Incredible privilege to preach the word of our Lord. Our sermon this morning, our text is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Um, please pray for the Spirit to still your heart now as we hear the word of our Lord. This is God's word. It is living and active. The Lord says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask now, merciful triune Lord, that your spirit would carry your word into our hearts. Lord, I cannot preach without Jesus. We cannot hear sermons without Jesus and without the indwelling spirit. And so we ask that you would pour out the benefits of the covenant of grace on us, that we would hear your word, that we would store it in our hearts and not sin against you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and amen. Well, as we look at this text, we're told to rejoice, we're told to pray, we're told to give thanks. And these are timely and compelling instructions for disciples of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter when you live, it doesn't matter what your station of life is, whether you're young or you're old, employed, retired, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you live over on the continent or in Asia or Africa, North or South America, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, these are timely and compelling instructions for you. In the sermon this morning, I'm going to focus on the last of these three commands, the discipline of giving thanks the discipline of giving thanks. One of the things I want us to consider is how those who excel in this discipline, there's two things. The first thing is they will first acknowledge God's rich provisions, and then secondly, they will be celebrating God's rich provisions. So to give thanks, biblically, is to acknowledge God's rich provisions, and then also to celebrate them as part of your thanksgiving. When we give thanks, not just in all circumstances, but I want us to think about training yourself, disciplining yourself to give thanks, particularly in those times of life that are these figurative seasons of plenty and prosperity. Um, when, we, when we learn to do that, when we train ourselves to do that, when we come under the discipline of Christ and the work of the Spirit, and we learn how to give thanks during times of prosperity, it's as if we are adding and laying up in storehouses the fuel and food for leaner times in Christian living. And it will be a buttress for perseverance for times when we might fall under trial. And so if we cultivate and give thanks during prosperity, it becomes a vital discipline. And for some of us, it may just be an overdue discipline. Right? You may be taking God's provisions for granted. You may not be pausing and acknowledging them and celebrating them and giving God glory for them. But the scriptures in various places present different practices that sustain us, that help sustain us, that have been ordained to sustain us in Christian living. And gratitude, giving thanks, is one of those practices. And as we think about our text, let's talk about the background and context. First Thessalonians was written around 50 or 51 AD. Uh, Paul is the author. It's probably one of the earliest New Testament documents. If you were to go look at all of the books and make a timeline of when were these books written. I mean, we, we just think, you know, the Gospels are first, but which books were written first? This is probably one of the earliest New Testament documents that we have in the New Testament canon. And it's a letter written to the converts from Thessalonica. And when this letter was written, Thessalonica was a principal city 
um, of the region of Macedonia, and it was a trade hub of the Roman Empire. And for today, if you were to look at a, a modern map, you'd see modern, modern, modern Greece, and it's in that region. Now, in the book of Acts in chapter 17, we learn quite a, quite a bit about Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. Paul's ministry occurs there in Thessalonica. Luke records it for us in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And this helps provide a backdrop for us to interpret and to understand and to interface this letter. Paul's Thessalonica ministry, what we see there, was an enormous evangelistic success. And because it was successful, it stirred up significant opposition, because this is what happens as light comes into a dark world, and as the light advances, the enemy of darkness pushes back and will stir up trouble for those who come and preach and teach light. The local unbelieving Jews were told in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, they are moved by envy at the success of Paul's evangelistic efforts, and that then they go and utilize bad actors, and they manufacture a local riot. We're told that they set the whole city in an uproar. Then the newfound converts, the brethren, they then send Paul away because it isn't safe for him to remain at that time. Paul desires to return to them, but we're told he's unable to. He talks about this briefly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And because of this, then Paul sends Timothy to check on the Thessalonians. Right? He has come, there's been success in evangelism, but he's had to leave, and yet his heart is still with these new converts. His heart is still with these people because Paul is a master shepherd, an under-shepherd of Jesus. He loves the flock. He loves those who have been brought into the kingdom. He wants to return, but he can't, so then he sends Timothy. And Timothy then returns to Paul, who at this time is now in Corinth, and he provides a report on how the new converts and believers are doing. As one commentator summarizes, he says, quote, two things emerge about the Thessalonian believers. First, they continue to undergo suffering and persecution. And second, they are basically hanging in there with regard to their faith in Christ, end quote. And that gives you a context when you think about the verses that we just heard, where then when Paul is encouraging them to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks. Then in 1 Thessalonians here, we see in light of Timothy's report of how the Thessalonians are doing, that then Paul is writing to them. He's writing them to encourage them in this letter, to exhort them and instruct them. And as we look at our passage, these verses we just considered, we see that it occurs within uh, his concluding exhortation to the Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 5, verses 12 to 22. <coughs> and as one commentator explains, in these concluding exhortations, Paul is exhorting them to basic Piety. He is exhorting them to basic piety, to continual rejoicing, to prayer and thanksgiving. And we just need to pause there and think about that. Paul is exhorting them to basic piety. And so as just at the outset, ask yourself, are, are those attributes of your basic piety in Christ? If, if somebody were to think about you and describe the characteristics of your Christian walk, you're being a Christian husband, you're being a, a Christian wife, you're being a Christian friend, an employee or employer, uh, a, a, a church member, or on a session, or as a pastor, would, would they say that the basic piety of rejoicing and praying and giving thanks is the thing that describes you, right? 
just a quick thing to reflect on. And so now let's focus on that last command there, to give thanks in all circumstances there in verse 18. Indeed, this is basic Christian piety for us. In Paul's other letters, we see his command, his insistence to give thanks is repeated again. Uh, Go to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then another letter, Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. And then to a different original audience from in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And do you, do you see clearly this central theme in Paul's teaching? Right? This, is, this is a pillar of the apostolic teaching, giving thanks. Right? This basic Christian piety, this discipline of thanksgiving is an important aspect of our Christian living, of our Christian worship. But what does it mean to give thanks? And particularly when Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances, right? What does that mean and how is that possible, right? How can we keep alert in prayer with thanksgiving? For your average unbeliever, it's just all kooky talk. It just doesn't make any sense to them. What do you mean give thanks in all circumstances? Have you ever looked out your door? Have you ever turned on the television? It's a gnarly world. Bad stuff happens, man. And I agree, it is a gnarly world. And not just bad stuff happens. Demonic, satanic stuff happens every day across this globe. But that's, that's not the whole story, is it? And you can actually give thanks in all circumstances because Scripture gives us the true interpretation of reality. When we have a scriptural understanding of things, primarily a doctrine of creation, and a doctrine of providence. That is the context within which giving thanks in all circumstances can only begin to make sense and begin to be feasible, to begin to be a realistic expectation or requirement for basic Christian piety. And what do I mean by a scriptural understanding of the doctrine of creation and providence? Well, it's just like our catechisms and our confession teaches. God is sovereign. This is our doctrine of God. And God created all things. This is our doctrine of creation. And being sovereign and being the master and creator of the universe, after he created it, he then exercises infinite and eternal control and governance over it and all things. This is, his, this is the doctrine of providence, which is a sweet, a sweet doctrine. It's necessary to understand those doctrines to then be able to understand what it means and what we're actually being called to and summoned to by a command to give thanks in all circumstances. And so we think about giving thanks in all circumstances. What what Paul is implying here is that we ought to give thanks in prosperity. And we're all like, yeah, I can do that. That's easy. But we also ought to give thanks in adversity. And that's where people kind of pump the brakes and go, wait a second. You had me with thanking God when, when times are good. Yeah, you had me when get, thanking God when you know, it's sun shining and there's rainbows and butterflies and my wife is saying nice things to me or my kids are obeying. 
But now you're telling me to do it when things are hard. Hold, hold, hold the phone. But to give thanks in all circumstances encompasses both of those. Just like with wealth, it encompasses giving thanks when you're wealthy or when you're in poverty, wealth or want. But it also is the whole spectrum of life, right? Giving God thanks in all passages of life, even up to the point of your deathbed and upon your deathbed. But how can we do that? Well, one commentator explains, he says this, giving thanks in all circumstances. He says, whatsoever God sends, receive it thankfully. So again, this takes you back to your ability to acknowledge God's provision and then to receive it and celebrate it in a a scripturally appropriate way, a biblically appropriate way. And so this one author says, whatsoever God sends, receive it thankfully. And he says, in prosperity, we can give thanks to God because he has crowned us with temporal mercies, right? You went and had the job interview and you got a great job. You studied hard for a test and you you went and you you aced the exam. Uh, you, You asked this girl that you've fallen in love with to marry you and she said yes, right? Think about all these things in your life that occur, moments of prosperity, where God is blessing you with temporal mercies. You have a vacation coming up, and you've got a whole bunch of kids, and you've seen the sickness going through the families at church and the community, and you're like, oh, Lord, keep us healthy so we can go on vacation, right? And everyone's healthy, and you get to go on the vacation, And so whatever God sends you, you receive it thankfully. In prosperity, we give him thanks because he's crowning us with temporal mercies. And think about that. Do you think about temporal mercies that way? Like this is like a crown that God is putting on you. The crown of health. The crown of wealth. The crown of a healthy marriage. The crown of godly, obedient children. The crown of a session or a pastor who loves you. The crown of Christian friendship. People that you know you could call if you had to, right? But then he talks about adversity. In adversity, we need to receive adversity, thankfully, because, this commentator says, thereby the Lord is trying your faith and patience. And oftentimes by trying your faith and patience, this is when he is giving you a sight and sense of your sin. This is a hard one for a lot of people. Because I think we just run away from conflict, run away from adversity. We like the path of least resistance. And yet if you study scripture, all these Old Testament, New Testament examples, right? It is. It's in the valley. Uh, it's, it's in the fires of life where the Lord oftentimes comes and makes himself known in new and special ways where he grows you in his graces, where he drives you deeper into the life of prayer, deeper into spiritual disciplines. And largely, he's also doing this oftentimes through adversity by revealing your sin. A lot of times when there's prosperity in your life and you let the good times roll, it's really easy to let the graces of God to fill your ears to where you can't hear your sin. Right? Now, God is God. That's not God doing that. Right? That's you using God's grace that way as white noise. So, I, oh, God's, I got all these temporal blessings. I must be doing what's right. God must really love me, which isn't the way it works, right? Well, he loves you, but it's not like you deserved it, like are meriting any of these things. It's all about Jesus, 
And yet, oftentimes, we, we hide the sin. We ignore it. But then adversity comes, and it's a wake-up call. Right? God humbles us, oftentimes, with adversity. This minister goes on, he talks about how in wealth, we can receive wealth, thankfully, because by it, God affords us to do much good. Think about all the good works that Christians can do when God gives them wealth. When they work hard, they consume less than they produce, and then there's a balance, a bounty that they can share. You can give to mercy ministry, alms, you can pay your taxes. Think about all of the good that can occur in a society through the payment of taxes as the magistrate fulfills their job to, to, to make sure that there's public tranquility in a society and safety. You can support your family, education, and so you can be thankful for wealth because by it, God is enabling you. It's the means to do much good. But on the flip side, in poverty or want, oftentimes we need to receive that thankfully. Right? Feast or famine. Sometimes it's a feast time in life. Sometimes it's a famine time in life. Uh, lost my job. And my daughter broke her leg four-wheeling. And the car broke down on family vacation all in the same month. you know, And it just hits the pocketbook. Hits the bank account. But oftentimes, God will take things away from us because we are actually using the wealth that God gave us to nourish vices in our life. And it's God's wise way of choking out the sin, revealing it to us and choking it out. But in all passages of life, we need to receive all these passages of life, acknowledge them, and celebrate them, because in the final analysis, this is how God is caring for you. And he is providentially shepherding you as your great father in heaven. But even finally at death, we can receive death and give thanks for death. And this is the thing that the world cannot understand because they don't have the hope of the gospel. They do not understand a Christian who can die with grace and hope because they don't know what's going to happen on the other side. Or maybe they do know and they're so afraid of it, and yet they won't humble themselves before God. But a Christian knows that death is actually the way the Lord delivers him from the miseries and sins of this life. Right? Death is the way the Lord will deliver us from the miseries and sins of this life and receive us into the heavenly kingdom that we've been promised. So even on a deathbed, we can go out praising the Lord. So a Christian, we have many good reasons to be thankful. If we think about our life, think about temporal and spiritual benefits that we've been given or recipients of. And we're told that God is the author of all of these good gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from karma? The, the force? No. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is incredible, because we're sinners in Adam, and by our sins, as the Catechism 193 teaches, we have forfeited any right to all of the outward blessings of this life. And we deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God, and to have them curse to us in the use of them. But that's not our experience. We don't experience just misery, do we? Not even close. Even the unbeliever 
experiences the common graces of God. Our lives are not only miseries and catastrophes, although that is what we have deserved and demerited in Adam and through our own sins, but in accordance with God's holy, wise, and merciful providence, again and again we experience God's rich provisions. Again and again we experience his face shining upon us. And this is the entire reason and basis why Jesus can say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. (coughs) And then he goes on and says, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so the underlying assumption is we can give thanks in all circumstances Because a believer can identify and meditate on God's actions, and God's actions and his words reveal his compassion, his character, that he is an eternally loving and eternally merciful God. So in prosperity, in wealth or health, any passage of life, we have more than ample opportunities to acknowledge that God is the one sending all of these things and that we are to receive them thankfully with gratitude. If God causes the sun to rise on the evil and rain to fall on the unrighteous, and if they're behooved to thank God for those common grace benefits, then how much more so for believers, those who have been justified? We don't just experience the common graces of this world, but we, in addition to them, experience saving grace. The enlightenment of the spirit, conviction of sin, faith and repentance unto life. These are, we get to be thankful in all circumstances, and we have so much more to be thankful for. The unbeliever can't thank God for saving grace yet. He hasn't experienced it, even though God calls and calls and says, any who repent, I will forgive. But we've experienced that. And if you've experienced it, have you gone to God with thanks and gratitude for it? Oftentimes, we just receive God's wonderful gifts and we just kind of presume upon them and we become kind of lackadaisical and careless, apathetic. And a sermon like this, through preparing it and preaching it and hearing it, it's a time for the Spirit is telling us to wake up. He's reminding us, are you aware of everything that God's doing for you? Right? Do, you, do, you do you really believe that, that God is a God of providence? Right? That he is in control of all things. That nothing that happens to you is an accident. Are you looking to understand God's providential dealings in your life? Also, to give thanks is an aspect of our religious worship. Prayer, we're told, specifically prayer with thanksgiving, is one special part of religious worship. And part of that would include tithing. When we tithe, we are giving back to the Lord from our increase in income that the Lord blesses us with and provides for us. And this tithing, this discipline, is a way to manifest thanks and to give thanks in all circumstances. And so think about this, whether you're making a lot or making a little, whether you're in a financial feast or a financial famine part of life, you can give a tithe unto the Lord in all circumstances because you can give thanks in all circumstances. So let's say hypothetically, uh, maybe you do like some niche... Uh, corporate sales job, right? And let's say last year was a burn, you know, last week was a barn burner for you and you made $100,000 off this commission or something, right? Good for you, right? 
Tie that of that abundance. Tie that of the Lord's prosperity in your life. And know that he has blessed you, that you can do much good with that. And he's blessed you so that you can be moderate with that. But maybe it's on the flip side. Maybe last week was a terrible week, and you made $100. But you still have a profit. You still have an income. And you can still tie that of that and give thanks to God for it. Right? Is that the attitude? The contentment in a lot or a little? That attitude, that heart that says, whatever comes to the Lord, I'm going to thank you for it. I'm going to give you glory for it. Now, another reason we need to resolve to give thanks in all circumstances, especially to be grateful in times of prosperity, is because those who are grateful in prosperity will be moderate in their judgments, their wills, and affections concerning worldly goods, as Catechism 141 says. So if somebody merely takes and uses during the times of prosperity, and they're not actually acknowledging and celebrating God's provisions, but if they're just taking and using, they're presuming upon all these benefits and blessings from God, all of these worldly goods that God has given you. And what happens is they're cultivating an insatiable appetite that, t- that, that very quickly will catechize them to be discontent and greedy. And they begin to assume that they should get and have whatever they want whenever they want it. But the discipline of giving thanks stops that in its tracks. The book of Proverbs describes this, provides a warning for this insatiable, discontent, appetite. Proverbs 30, verse 15. Incredible imagery here. The leech has two daughters. What is the cry of the leech? The two daughters. Give, give. Give, give, is their cry. And the leech here is a symbol of greed. Greedy for blood, a bloodsucker. Never content, once more, once more. Give, give. Matthew Henry observed this proverb reveals something about the insatiable, unholy craving. He says, quote, So insatiable are the corrupt desires of sinners, and so little satisfaction have they, even in the gratification of them. Right? If you don't have contentment, if you aren't cultivating thanksgiving in all circumstances, you can fall into this sin where you just want and want and want. And yet, as you receive something, uh, you don't even have satisfaction from it. I know, I'm sure many of you have experienced this. You can experience it through substance abuse. You can experience it even emotionally and relationally. But it's all tied back to a discontent, ungrateful heart. A heart that is not slowing down, acknowledging God's providential provisions, and then giving him glory and celebrating them and using them appropriately. And I think this unholy, insatiable craving is kind of at the root of our throwaway culture, right? Whether it's abortion or just, you know, you can go to the Internet of Things and order whatever new gadget you need for a home, but it's not actually something you'd ever repair yourself, so it's just a throwaway thing once it breaks. It's impossible to repair. I think this insatiable desire, this discontent, always wanting the next new shiny thing is part of the spirit of our age, and we need to be aware of it and push against it. And one of the ways we can push against it is by giving thanks in all circumstances. It's okay to have the old gadget that works. You know, legacy technology that still does a job is, is a good technology and a blessing from God. And don't belittle it, right? Be thankful for it. But we think about the leech, the daughters give, give, that insatiable appetite. 
that takes so little satisfaction or gratification in things and contrast it with what Paul says. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. In light of this, we should ask ourselves, saints, if this is true for you. If you found yourself in a circumstance or a situation where all you had was food and clothing, the basic daily necessities of life, would you, could you be content with those? I think this is a, a real challenge for parents. Are you raising your child in such a way that they could be content with only the basic necessities of life? Are you living as a parent and parenting in such a way, right? Because it's, you know, it just says biblical faithfulness and, 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 and commitment to Jesus and, and taking seriously apostolic commands in these New Testament texts, where if all you had were the basic necessities of life, food and clothing, would you be content? And are you raising your children in such a way that they could be content with those daily necessities? And it's something to think about. It's like covenant kids, children, ask yourself that. You know, in God's rich provisions, if all I could have is food and clothing, just what I need to get by day to day, could I be grateful for that? Could I praise God for that? Could I receive that thankfully? But then you also kind of flip it on its head and think about the same principle from the lesser to the greater. You know, think about the church as a family. You know, your church has been blessed with a great campus and, you know, many people on staff and a pastor and a large session and deacons. Uh, But if you were a church where God takes all of those external things away, all those temporal blessings away, and all you had were the basic necessities of what it means to be a church access to the means of grace, the word preached, the fellowship of the saints, right? Could you be content with that? If God overnight transformed you into just a church plant where you don't have anything, could you be content with that? Could you be content with where the church is at right now, where she spiritually is right now, and give God thanks for where she's at today? So contentment is paramount. Giving thanks in prayer, exercising gratitude and prosperity. This is basic Christian piety. It is a sober warning for all of us. As one godly minister taught, he said, quote, respond to each providence in an appropriate way. And that's really the point of the sermon, in giving thanks. Respond to each providence in an appropriate way. And we can do this realizing God's providence, taking note of it, observing it, reflecting it, turning over these deep things of God in our mind, analyzing God's faithfulness to us, and then treasuring up his providential dealings in our life. As that same minister went on and said, he said, quote, O Christian, treasure up these instances for such a time as that is, that you may go out of the world blessing God for all of the goodness and truth he has performed for you all of your life long. When I was pastoring in Montana, one of the highlights was that there was an elderly man in our congregation. In the first two, three, four months that I was there, his wife died of cancer unexpectedly. And in the next seven years before he'd passed away, I just got to spend time with him. And here was a man who had been converted late in life after his kids were out of the home. He was in adulthood. And here was a man 
who is just full of gratitude. Grateful for his family, grateful for his wife, even though she had been taken from him before, you know, early, unexpectedly. Grateful for a church. And he was just such a blessing to see an old saint praising God, praising God, praising God as he went out of this world. What a blessing for a, a young man in his first pastorate. Right? You, know, you could be that blessing to somebody else, to your family, to a co-worker, to a friend. Right? This is what I mean in the times of prosperity. This is when we can get these disciplines so that when the adversity comes, we're prepared for it. Right? You, you have the muscle memory. You have the spiritual reflexes. Then when the adversity comes, oh, I can give thanks in that circumstance as well. The saints in the final analysis, the reason we can give thanks in all circumstances, it's not because of us. It's not because of our spiritual habits. It's not because of our temperaments or sensibilities. It's really because of Jesus. Right? We can give thanks in all circumstances because of Jesus. We can give thanks in all circumstances because of the truth and the hope, the sweetness, the beauty of the gospel. Eternal life is a gift. Eternal life is the sweetest gift. We did not earn it. We did not merit it. And gratitude is our only appropriate response to such an incredible saving grace. And we need to look to Christ. We need to follow in Christ's footsteps to be able to do this. Think about Jesus giving thanks in his life. You would hear it every time you prepare for communion that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. At that table with his disciples, Jesus gave thanks, and he set an example for us to give thanks in all circumstances. On the doorstep of death, our Lord and Savior, the mediator between God and man, was giving thanks and demonstrating for us that vital Christian piety. We can give thanks in all circumstances because of Jesus. He's given us his spirit, he's given us his word, he's equipped us to this. Reflect on your own life. Have you been doing this? Have you been giving thanks appropriately? Have you been giving thanks in all circumstances? Have you been receiving everything in your life with thanksgiving? Look to Jesus. Jesus was able to give thanks because he trusted in the power and the promise of God. Do you trust in the power and promises of God? Jesus demonstrated in the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that basic Christian piety of giving thanks. Through the reading and preaching of the word, know that your Lord and Savior Jesus is now spiritually nourishing you, equipping you, strengthening you for the call to this basic Christian piety. Let us therefore resolve in all circumstances to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is sharp, that it's living, that it's active. We ask that we would not hide, hide from it, but that we would allow it to prod and to examine us and to turn over the rocks in our minds and our life and our habits and our thoughts. If we have been ungrateful, if we have been discontent, if we have had an insatiable appetite, would you convict us of that? Lord, if we have been giving you thanks, would your word today drive us deeper so that we could experience the joy of a deeper 
thicker, fuller gratitude to you for grace for Jesus. And all of this, Lord, we're just so thankful and humbled that you have given us eyes to see and to enter your kingdom so that we can experience the joy of giving you thanks in all circumstances. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and amen.